Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block with Ed, Jody, and Steve. The show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast, which can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for the Liberty Block. I believe we're also up on Rumble. We invite anyone listening to this podcast to join us live on Zoom or by phone and share your thoughts on the issues that we discuss. Good afternoon, everybody. And if I may, happy birthday to all those to whom it applies. Happy birthday, Ed. Thanks, Jody. Thanks, Steve. Although we already sang to you, so it's all good. Well, <laughs> I feel special. You could have shared it with everybody, but I'm glad you shared it with me. So there's so much going on, as always. I just want to run through some of the things that are on my mind. Um, as a New Yorker, which at least one of us has gotten out of here, Ed. Um, I'm sure everyone saw the YouTube with Cuomo's Who Cares? Everybody see that? The who I'm cares? sorry. I think oh, I missed wow. it. Okay, so miss you've that? really missed a good one. So the Attorney General <laughs> of New York State put out a report on Cuomo having um, pushed all the COVID people back into nursing homes and right. so many of them died. And then he wrote a book to say how great he was. So this report came out that he undercounted the amount of deaths by as much as 50%. Right. And he's on YouTube and he basically said, the people died. They died in a nursing home. They died in a hospital. Who cares? I, some people don't agree with me, but to me, it is the coldest I have ever seen a politician, it's being compared to Hillary's at this point, what, is, what difference does it make? I find it even colder. It is so, you can YouTube it, I think it's disgusting. Well, it's can like, I just say something though? You know, Steve, that just really um, highlights what I have said, maybe even on this show. When you spend decades as the left has done, um, capturing the a cultural narratives and the minds of the people, you can literally get away with murder. And people are like, oh, you're the greatest as you get away with murder. And that just kind of underscores that notion. Well, Jody, I would think you're nuts, except Maxine Waters, who's in the news for something else as well, said she basically doesn't see any reason why Trump should not be charged with premeditated murder. Mm -hmm. So we're not exaggerating, even when we say that. And if anybody killed people, it was um, Andrew Cuomo. And it's, his attitude is just beyond and beyond. In my The World Has Turned Upside Down category, I assume everyone's heard that nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize were people such as Donald Trump for making Mideast Peace, Jared Kushner for making Mideast Peace, and Black Lives Matter for dot, dot, dot. Yes, I heard about that one. I mean, I think the Nobel Peace Prize went by the wayside when when it was given to Obama for having done nothing. But yeah, I guess this is even lower. This is for having burnt down cities. So, and the other thing, when I mentioned Maxine Waters, they um, they sort of punked a bunch of Democrats, and they used her famous quote about if you see Republicans in a restaurant, scream at them, shout at them, et cetera, et cetera. And they said it as if a Republican said it and got all these Democrats to say that's unconscionable, it's horrific, it's unforgivable. Did you see that? Yeah. I saw that. So, you know, like they say, if they didn't have double standards, they wouldn't have standards. Mm -hmm. Who's kidding? Um, on the pushback front, well, the Lynn Cheney thing, if you guys- front, I think, I just wanna say, I think that the uniting force behind all of those is that what matters to Democrats is power, not human. Yeah not economic prosperity, not carbon emissions, not anything, it's, it's power. And that's why Cuomo can be so blase and, and unfeeling and uncaring because it's not about whether he's helping people or hurting people. It's about whether he maintains control and whether he needs to, to do anything to demoralize his opponents and just dismiss them. Um, likewise with the, with the Nobel Peace Prize, I mean, it's a joke that that BLM would be would be nominated for it, except it's not a joke. It's all about furthering the narrative and all about consolidating power for the left. Um, all those stories that you gave, uh, the underlying, I think the unifying theme for all of them is 
uh, their attempts to to advance and consolidate power for the left. So I think that that runs into my uh, cancel culture list from this week. Um, Twitter suspended focus on the family for mentioning that the new, what is she, Health and Human Services Secretary that used to be a guy but is now a gal, mentioning that biologically she was a guy, so they threw them off of Twitter. Uh, Mike Lindell, I'm sure everybody heard that he was mm -hmm. taken off of Twitter. YouTube demonetized the Epic Times. I do follow them. I don't know if you follow them. I do. Um, everybody heard about the San Francisco School Board. <laughs> And taking Renaming everybody's all names, everybody's names, including DiFi. Um, Jody, you're familiar with the company Sephora? I, it's, I don't know much about it. Yes. So Makeup. They, uh, they cut ties with this lady because she supported Trump in some ways. So since her values aren't in line with them, they can no longer use her as a spokesperson. Oh, I didn't hear. Oh, she was a spokesperson. Well, so, you know what? I've never shot there. Influencer. So. I'll be sure not to shop there. And uh, they're trying to ban Trump supporters from federal jobs and from even joining the military. Now, I think this is the same military that we're saying we're risking national security if we don't let transgender people in the military, because if they're qualified, we need them. But if they supported Trump, <laughs> then we don't need them. And for you, Ed, the uh, continuing purge of noncompliant lawyers. Um, we know Trump lost a few more lawyers. I don't know if it was because of that, but I know any lawyer who tries to do anything, they put pressure on their firms to dump them. And at what point is this going to hit more and more lawyers? Obviously, they're trying to take away honorary degrees from Cruz, from Hawley, from all these other people. Um, I have Senator Whitehouse, I love that name, urges the IRS to take away tax-exempt status from Charlie Kirk's Turning Point USA. So when you talk about taking power away, Ed, you ain't kidding. Facebook, no more ads about recalling Gavin Newsom. And by the way, they're recalling Gavin Newsom from both the left and the right. And Facebook is still stopping any um, publicity of that effort. So <laughs> in the cancel culture world, and as you're putting it, the, uh, what do you call it? searching for absolute power against anybody who doesn't agree with them. It's just relentless. So I think this kind of goes back to a little bit what we were talking about several shows ago. This is um, the new ability to sort of engage in a, in a modern style warfare where it's not about guns, but it's about literally removing people's abilities to take care of themselves, to take care of the, like taking people down in a whole different, really kind of scary, insidious way. What do you guys think about that? I think I mean, it seems I, like these are engines going that way where you can literally cancel humans. And if they're doing it to these people, why aren't they going to do it to everybody who engages in, you know, the, the excuse me, the, using the word fight for the narratives of our country? Well, I, I think that's right, but I, I think that any discussion of cancel culture this week needs to integrate the biggest story probably of the week, which was the GameStop story. And I think that even though the GameStop story was purely private action, purely about business, uh, not about politics, um, I guess a lot of the cancel culture is always about private action, but uh, this was about economics. Um, I think that the unifying force is the game is rigged and there are people that are that are going to stop the counting, whether it's counting votes or buying shares um, or, you know, allowing you into restaurants or, as you said, just allowing you to live. And um, that's really what's going on. The, the people that are in control have tried to create a facade of of transparency and a facade of the game not being rigged, but what's mm -hmm. happening in 2020 and 2021 so far is that the mask is coming off and people are starting to see that the game is rigged and that these companies will work together to beat down other people. 
Um, you know, I think that the, the parlor eight uh, Amazon suit is, is a similar one. Um, you know, that's still in its embryonic stage. Um, but, but basically, um, Twitter is the, is the competitor to parlor. Um, Amazon is not the competitor parlor, but Amazon just decided, well, we don't want, we don't really need Amazon's uh, parlors money. We're just going to squash this. We're going to squash Twitter's uh, competitor because, you know, we like Twitter and we're, we were best buddies. And basically they're saying that this is our club and we get to decide who comes in and who doesn't. Um, and it's, it, it, it reminds me of the, of the libertarian conundrum of, of the property owner who gets uh, surrounded by enemy property owners. And what does he do? Is he, is, does he have a right to get off his land? Is there an implied easement? Um, and, and, Lots of libertarians have said over the years that, oh, that's just a fantasy that could never happen, but it actually is happening right now. We are being uh, surrounded by enemies and being told we have to stay on our own land and we can't you know, buy food or buy, uh, you know, buy into our economy, uh, whether it's buying shares of these stocks or, or, or uh, Parler wanting to have its own company. Um, and that's the real cancel culture. And I think that's sort of what you were getting at, I think. One of the things I see with the, with the parlor Amazon, though, again, though, is where we've failed at paying attention to what's happening in our culture. And here we are playing so far behind. If we weren't beholden to places like Amazon um, as an avenue for those companies to be in that market. But here we are. We don't have our own infrastructure set up because we weren't paying attention. And now we are stuck with relying on those we shouldn't be relying on. Well, I don't think it dawns on a normal conservative human being that people will break the rules so badly. Why when will we wake up to that though? How, 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 how many times does this sort of, when is the conservative mind gonna start to understand that nature of the reality that we live and stop believing that that we can just go about our nice business and don't I don't want to go the way of you know what Trump's being like that he was calling for violence I'm certainly not saying that but I'm saying we've got to understand how the game is being played at our disadvantage and we have to figure out how to engage, maybe we don't have to, I don't want to engage in evil way, but we've got to engage in a way that wins those sort of games at least. Well, I want to push back a little on what Steven said though. I think, I think the right does know how to play that game. And, and, you know, we're all old enough in this group to, to remember when, you know, for instance, the, uh, the Southern Baptist group uh, tried to organize a boycott of Disney because of the sexualization of movies and, homosexuality in movies. Um, there have been other organized boycotts and organized boycotts by the right. Um, we're just not as effective at it and we're not playing to win. Um, that's, that's one of the differences, I think. We, we do it to try and prove a point. The left does it to try and win and destroy. And we, we have to understand that we're in a fight for our lives. And if we don't start fighting to win rather than to just make a point, we're gonna be destroyed. That's funny. I thought you were going to take that one other place, Ed, because I was going to say Republicans don't have the killer instinct, but they do. And that's where I thought you were going. Mitch McConnell will use a killer instinct against a conservative upstart. Right. They show no mercy. And it's interesting that they can. Now, I think you and I, we don't have any killer instinct towards these people. And it's hard for us to even imagine that they would go as far as they have. Well, I, if I had power, I had plenty of killer instinct for people like McConnell and, and others like him. Um, I don't have any patience for Liz Cheney or, or any of the leadership, really. I mean, whether it's John Thume, who's the number two in the Senate, or Cornyn or uh, Barrasso. I mean, all these guys who are you know high in the food chain, they need to be axed. They need to be replaced. And from my perspective, it doesn't really matter if they wound up getting replaced by Democrats uh, Thum is from North Dakota. 
Barrasso is from uh, Wyoming. They're not going to get replaced by, by Democrats. Cornyn's from Texas. He's not going to get replaced by a Democrat. Liz Cheney, she's from Wyoming. She's not going to get replaced by a Democrat. But you know what? So be it. If they're going to vote like Democrats on every important piece of legislation, well, we might as well have a Democrat in there and then be able to put a real Republican up against, up against them in the next election. Well, that's what happened in Georgia, but not everybody's happy with that. Well, I mean, you mean... Uh, what do you mean? That's what happened in Georgia. I mean, I mean, saying that since they vote like Democrats anyway, to heck with it. And uh, let's just let Democrats go. So, you know, I was I, I was, you know, loud and I was loud and, and at the forefront of saying that we need to fight for Georgia. So I'm not going to say that I thought it was a good thing that we that we lost there. But um, I am also of that opinion that even if they had won 5149 Republican or 5248 Republican, it's not really a majority because we've got too many squishes on the Republican side that are going to go over anyway. I mean, it's just, it's not a real majority. Um, it just would give them committee assignments and fake power and extra money. But uh, well, that brings me to something I wanted to bring up that I didn't even think about to put in show notes before the show. My impression is that the Republican Republicans in the Senate are almost just rolling over to approve every one of these cabinet nominations. And my impression was that that's not how it was four years ago. Is, is that your impression? That's definitely not my impression. And, and it's a very disappointing thing. Um, I'm not saying that they had to fight every single last one of them, although that's what the Democrats pretty much did to Trump. But they certainly should have been picking and they should, should be picking and choosing some of them to make an example of them and to make a point. Uh, you know, you don't just show up on election day on November 3rd or, you know, the first week, Tuesday in November and say, well, you know, vote for us. You need to make your argument all through that, throughout the two and four year period. And one of the ways to do that is to grill these radical crazies that Biden is nominating and put them on the record. And you know what? And if they wind up getting confirmed, they get confirmed. But, you know, you, you need to make their lives, you need to make them squirm. I mean, you know, look what they did to Kavanaugh when he was trying to get confirmed for the Supreme Court. They lied about him. We don't have to lie about these people. We can just tell the truth. But they're afraid to tell the truth. Said. Said, I'm correct that Trump's uh, nominees for cabinet did not get just such an easy ride, right? No, and Republican nominees never do. They always get raked over the coals. I mean, what is Pete Buttigieg's qualification for transportation minister? I think he said it was because he once took a bus or something. <laughs> so, I mean, really, what are we doing? And yet, I'm not following closely, but you don't have to. Every day there's a headline and other few people seem to be approved, just like that. And five Republicans voted against them. And it's, again, we just roll over and we say elections have consequences when they win and we just give them seemingly whatever they want. It's just, I won't say it's disappointing because I don't even expect anything more at this point. It's just sad. Yes, it's definitely sad. So we have to take it to the other side because the, the, the real pushback, and I think, you know, you've asked a lot of times, you know, where are the states, where's the pushback? DeSantis is coming out really, really strong against big tech. I don't know if everybody heard his speech, read the article about his speech. Yep. I mean, he's- he Came out with, a, with proposed legislation to really make it difficult for, for big tech companies that are gonna do business in Florida. Um, I think it'd be interesting. I mean, it, it almost reminds me of the um, egg labeling requirement that California implemented a, 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 about a dozen years ago um, that basically made every state in the country have to comply with California law. Um, I don't know, I don't know how, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all these social media companies are going to be able to comply with Florida law only in Florida. If they're going to comply, they're going to have to comply everywhere, I would think, because I don't know how they're going to know whether somebody's in Florida or not. So what, I mean, legally, if you know, what exactly is his jurisdiction? And is there any way for them to go to a federal court and say, since the internet bounces back and forth around the world, by definition, it's interstate commerce and he can't regulate it? Well, you can regulate interstate commerce, but there has to be a nexus to the jurisdiction. And, you know, the, the defendant's, you know, the social media companies might make the argument that, um, 
that there's no jurisdiction over them in the in the state of Florida because they're not purposefully directing their activities at that state. Um, there's been a bunch of Supreme Court cases in the last five or 10 years, between five and 10 years ago, that um, severely cut back on uh, the ability to sue a, a foreign corporation in a state court. Um, the you're going to need to show a direct link to, to a, a tort or to a contract within the state. Um, and I'm not sure that I'm not sure that they're going to be able to do it. But you know what? As far as I'm concerned, the left is never concerned about that. The left just goes forward and says, go ahead, sue us and see if you can get it struck down. You know, I, like, for instance, H.R. 1 has a whole bunch of voting reforms that Nancy Pelosi is trying to put in, where she's trying to nationalize state elections. There is absolutely no power in the Constitution for her to do that. And the, you know, the Republicans or, or other people within states should file suit the minute, you know, minutes after that bill gets, if it gets passed and signed into law, they should seek an injunction barring its enforcement, because there's no way that there's power to power for the federal government to over to take over state elections. I mean, unless, unless there was some congressional findings that that the Voting Rights Act demanded it, that there was some discrimination going on. Um, that's the only way I can see jurisdiction in that instance. Uh, but they're not making any findings like that. They're not doing holding any hearings on that. And it's an unconstitutional bill, but that doesn't matter to Nancy Pelosi. She's just going to ram it through and have them sign it and and let let us let us sue. So from my perspective, DeSantis should do the same thing. He's got the right idea. He's on the right side of the issue. Pass the law. Let the let the social media companies say you don't have jurisdiction over us. And we'll see what happens. Is um. Does this have anything at all to do with supremacy clauses and all that kind of thing? Um, what do you mean, does this? What is the this? Okay, so DeSantis is saying if Twitter censors somebody running for a statewide office, let's say a state legislative seat, then we're going to find them $100,000. Twitter's going to say, well, yes, we censored them, but we censored them out of our server in. Saskatchewan and that bounced off a server in Africa, that bounced off a server in San Francisco. And therefore this has absolutely nothing to do with the state whatsoever. This is a federal issue if that, and therefore. Correct, that's, that's, one, um, that, that's, that's one argument that they're gonna make, absolutely. And it might be a winning argument, I'm not sure, but um, that's the argument, that's an argument that they're gonna make for sure. Um, another argument they're gonna make is uh, you know, going back to the Parler versus Amazon suit, you know, Amazon just claims that Parler breached the contract between them. Parler says that Amazon breached it, but Amazon says, no, you allowed violent speech on your platform. You didn't take it down. We don't have to give a 30 day notice to cure period. If there's, if there's violent, if there's advocacy of violence, we can just take it down immediately. And, you know, that, you know, as of this point in the proceedings, uh, Parler hasn't denied that. Um, and likewise, Twitter is going to is going to defend by saying, well, this candidate is advocating dangerous things or hateful things or some there's going to be some excuse as to you know, how it violates the terms of service of using their platform. And they're going to say that it was that, that they're allowed to decide the terms of use for their, for their platform and services. So Ed, let me ask you this question then. So based on what you just said, yeah, why? Would Amazon, is there any lawsuit there for somebody to sue Amazon for allowing Twitter or whoever, whomever else Amazon to remain, even though they've allowed non, you know, leftist people advocating violence, they haven't shut them down. Can't, can't, isn't there a lawsuit to say, wait, you, you can't say you don't allow violence ex only by these people, but you allow violence by these people. Could there be a lawsuit in there? I'm not the I'm not the attorney handling the case, but I'll tell you that I think that Parler's strategic error was not naming Twitter as a defendant in the in the lawsuit. They only sued Amazon. Amazon's not the competitor. Twitter is. If they had sued, if they had made Twitter a defendant, they could have made the case. They could have made the argument under the Sherman Act under the antitrust laws that that precisely the point you're making shows that. Uh, it's pretext for, for Amazon to say uh, Parler is violating the terms of service because there's far worse 
examples of, of violence being advocated on Twitter and Facebook, and Amazon hasn't taken any action against them. Um, they could there be a separate lawsuit then? Since could there be a separate? The, it depends on the rules of the state. Some states allow piecemeal litigation like that. Some some don't. Um, I should also say, it, it Parler can still make that argument with respect to Amazon. I just think it would have been a stronger argument to make if Twitter were also a defendant. Um, but they 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 allude to it in the in their filings. They just. I think it would have been a stronger argument if Twitter were an actual defendant. Um, and it's possible that they might not have sued Twitter because Twitter might not have contacts, uh, uh, might not be subject to laws to suit in Washington, which is where the parlor Amazon suit is taking place. Um, as I said a few minutes ago, the Supreme Court has drastically limited the ability to sue an out of state corporation. Um, if it doesn't have either its principal place of business in the state or its incorporation in the state, it's very hard to sue a, a company uh, in the state. I personally think that the agreement or the, the implied agreement or the, power, the uh, collusion between uh, Amazon and Twitter is a mm -hmm. tort that impacts residents within the state of Washington. I think there would have been jurisdiction but I don't know. I'm not part of the legal team. I don't know why the decision was made to do it the way they did. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there is that kind of lawsuit. I think that you're exactly right. And I don't know why the, the lawyers haven't, haven't gone down that path. But basically, from what you're saying, states don't really have a great fight here. Because there's no reason for a state to have any jurisdiction over it. I'm not sure I follow what you're saying there, Steve. So Florida is saying if you, you know, you dump one of our candidates for state office, but by what right does the state court have any jurisdiction over any of these companies who aren't based there and don't work there and aren't physically there at all? Well, that's like I said, that's going to be the argument that the defendants make. I think that the responding argument is going to be that uh, that they're that the action taken outside the state has impacts within the state. That's what the action, that's what the argument's going to be. And they're going to, and there are different rules for whether it's a tort or a contract as to whether that's going to be something that's going to subject the out-of-state defendant to jurisdiction in Florida. Um, and that's going to probably be the subject of litigation going down the road. Is this part of the law catching up to the reality, this whole, the way tech works and bounces around the world? Um, there's definitely, the law is still catching up in that regard. Um, yeah. Can I ask a question also? Uh, so I, and I don't know what DeSantis is, what, what his legislation is looking to do exactly, but I always have a little bit of concern about unintended consequences of the government stepping in to save everyone from things in a market. Do you guys see anything in there that might have any sort of screams of potential for unintended consequences that could bite us in the booty down the road, trying to save ourselves through a law? Sure. I mean, the left has a way of finding, uh, finding a way to use all expansions of government power for its own benefit. Um, there and, it is. And we need a, a long-term game plan for how we just vanquish these people, whether it's a two-state solution, as Tom Kemp talked about a couple of weeks ago when we interviewed him, um, or takes it like, you know, we interviewed those guys. Uh, I'm not sure what the long range solution is, but um, returning to the status quo as it was before is not going to get us anywhere because um, I, I like to, you know, the analogy I like to, to use is, you know, people talk about needing a reset. You know, I have this in, you know, this happens in personal relations. You know, you'll get into, you know, arguments with people, you come to some like impasse. And, you know, you want to just go back to when we were, you know, better friends. And I'll say, well, if the train is still pointing in the same direction and we don't change direction, going back to where we were, all it does is buy us a little time, but we're going to wind up in the same place. We need to have some new strategy. And I think that applies in politics as well. I mean, it's not enough to just return to where we were. We have to recognize that we were always headed in the wrong direction. And just because we didn't notice it back then, doesn't mean that we can just go back to where we were in the 1950s or 1960s and everything will be hunky-dory again, because it won't. 
So in a similar battle, which seems to have a much stronger um, case for a state is what's going on in Texas, suing the government re-immigration law. And there where it does seem to affect the state on the ground, on their geography, seems to be a much strong, stronger argument, correct? Except Arizona tried that, you know, during the Obama administration, the Supreme Court slapped them down. Um, I'm glad that the, the district court judge who was a Trump appointee sided with the state of Texas in, in their uh, request for an injunction barring the uh, enforcement of Biden's executive order. Um, I'm not confident that it's going to be upheld by the Fifth Circuit or the Supreme Court if it goes that far. Um, I'm hopeful, but I think that, you know, as I, I suggested in a, in a prior show, Abbott needs to be prepared to just defy Biden, M make Biden invade Texas if he has to. He should militarize that border. He should have as many National Guardmen, Guardsmen as he needs, and he should, he should dare Biden to arrest them all or start shooting at his National Guardsmen. And if, if Biden wants to do that, then that's up to Biden. But um, I think that I think that Abbott needs to be aggressive and Republicans in general need to be aggressive and just put up, a, put up their hands and, and say and scream, stop. No, somebody's got to say no to these people. So the Arizona lawsuit was basically the Supreme Court said you as a state have no right to police your borders from people outside the country because we control immigration. Is that basically what happened? No, as I recall, the what happened was the federal government wasn't enforcing immigration law. So Arizona deputized its own um, its own people to, to enforce immigration law at the Arizona border with Mexico. And the Obama administration sued them saying that they were encroaching on federal authority. And the Supreme Court ultimately agreed with the federal government on that. Right, so that, that's sort of what I'm saying. It's saying you can't control your border only we control your border. Right. And you know what? Like I said, if the Supreme Court were to rule that way in this case, I think Abbott should say, should, should, should look up what Andrew Jackson said in, in about 1832 when he said, the Supreme Court has rendered its decision. Now I'm rendering mine. Let's see the Supreme Court enforce its order. And that's what I would do. And if Biden, like I said, if Biden wants to send the army in, let him send the army in. If he wants to start a war in Texas, let him start a war in Texas. Um, I, if I were Texas, I, I would not. Would. Do, you, do you think he wouldn't? Because I, I, I kind of think the left would. I think it would too. And you know what? If that's what it is, that's what it is. I mean, I don't want to be cavalier about civil war and, and, and fighting, but uh, I think it's even more cavalier to just keep surrendering. And some, we have to put up a, a line and say no. And, you know, the same way that Lincoln was able to, to trick South Carolina into being the ones to fire the first shots of the Civil War. If Texas is just manning the border and they say, you know what, Biden, if you want to start firing shots, then you'll be the ones who fired the first shot of the of the second Civil War. So be it. Um, you know, I'm not for Civil War, but I'm not for surrender either. So how parallel is this to sending federal troops to integrate schools? How parallel is what? Would, Biden the federal government coming in and saying you're violating the civil rights of people and we have a right to enforce it even if you and your law enforcement refuse to. The federal government nowadays seems to think that, what are they calling them, unlawful residents? I, I forget the nice PC word for illegal aliens, that even though they're not citizens, they have the same civil rights as citizens. You're violating them by keeping them out of the country and therefore we have a right to enforce it. I don't think that they even go that far. I think they simply say immigration is a federal concern. It's exclusively federal. And as the federal government, we have the we have the power to decide how, when, and where to enforce federal immigration law, and a state doesn't. But and they have given civil rights to non-citizens and to even people who haven't gotten here yet. Right. I mean, I I think if, if that were the argument that they'd make, I think that's a weaker argument because I think that non-citizens have fewer civil rights than citizens, but I don't think that's the argument that they would make. I think they just would blanketly say this is an immigration issue. Um, I think that in that sense, they probably had 
mean, I think Eisenhower had a pretty strong case to send in troops to Little Rock, but um, you know, enforcing the federal civil rights laws was was an appropriate federal purpose, and enforce, enforcing federal immigration laws it would be theoretically an, an important federal purpose. Um, the state of Texas has a right to have law enforcement enforce its own laws, and it doesn't have you know they can if they want to keep police al along the border, that's up to them. I don't think I don't you know they, I, if I were Abbott I wouldn't say your job is to uh, is to uh, enforce federal immigration policy. I would say your job is to protect the integrity of Texas, and let the federal government say, "Well, that you that in, that interferes with uh, federal immigration law." I don't think it does. I think Texas is a sovereign entity and a sovereign state, and has a right to protect itself. and And that's the argument that I would make. And I would I would let the courts rule how they rule. And if the courts ruled against me, I'd say, "Well, tough dog, tough dogs." We are not going to surrender our border just because Joe Biden has has other ideas for what Texas should do. That's what I that's what I would do if I were Greg Abbott. Well, I think the Texas nationalist movement, I won't say they're rooting to lose, but this would strengthen them unbelievably if the federal government says you have to take in people that you absolutely don't want to take in and we're going to come down and force you to. Because this whole idea is, is a state sovereign in any way or, in, or task it the other way? In what way is a state sovereign nowadays? Well, that's a good question. And it's a question, if I'm the state of Texas, I'd be willing to fight over. I wouldn't roll yeah. over on it. Of course, they'll play the money card like they're doing. You know, we, we had a discussion, I don't remember, on the show or off the show of some state legislators saying that if they end these states of emergency, they'll lose funds. I know in Wisconsin, they passed a law to repeal the state of emergency and then they immediately backed off of it because they were gonna lose state funds. People in New Hampshire have told me, legislators, both. We would lose federal funds if we end the state of emergency, we wouldn't. People in the know have asked around and say they can't get a straight answer. So the federal government will say to them, okay, no problem. You control immigration. You're not getting a nickel for food stamps, not getting a nickel for Medicaid, not getting a nickel for that. And unfortunately, that's what Republicans always roll over for, mm -hmm. even if they don't roll over for the law thing. Well, you want to know something? I would be all for that. That would be great, especially if the Republicans could learn that lesson. If the Republicans would do that when they're in charge, Trump was just president for four years. He did do that. Sanctuary states, sanctuary cities that said we are not going to enforce federal immigration law. Trump also last summer tried to cut funding for police departments in town in, in mm -hmm. cities that weren't dealing with the looting and the rioting. And but but the Republicans wouldn't go along with it. The Republicans should follow that. That's the tool that the founders gave us. The, the founders said Congress has the power of the purse. OK, let them cut funding. And you know what? We should do it too. We should cut funding to education. They, you want to close your schools? Fine. We're going to cut the funding for it. No problem. Let's defund. Let's let's reimagine education. Let's reimagine schools to use the left's language. We should play that game too. And we got to fight to, to, to win the way Biden fights to win and the Democrats fight to win. That's fine. The power of the purse is the power of the purse. That was a, that was a tool that, that the framers specifically gave to our legislature. And, and, the, and the Democrats are willing to use it. For some reason, the Republicans cower in fear and are afraid to use it. That's the real problem. Okay, I have a, maybe a stupid question. I don't, I'm not really privy to what our um, immigration laws are, but is Abbott technically trying to do what he thinks the federal government is failing to do? And is the government federal government failing to do their job of protecting the borders or is the federal government actually are they are they carrying out the laws properly it's just not as good as Abbott wants it, it, it and then juxtapose that with how is it then that places like the city of Chicago can ignore federal laws and declare themselves sanctuary cities how is I'm, do you understand my questions? I understand your question was a great question. <laughs> I, I, I don't know the exact particulars of the Texas lawsuit, except that I do know that they argue that the executive order 
regarding a moratorium, a hundred day moratorium on deportations violates an express federal statute and also violates an agreement that Trump made with the states in the last weeks before he left office. Um, my understanding is that the second argument about the agreement with Trump, the, the, the district court judge hasn't ruled on that in, in granting the preliminary injunction, but he did rule on uh, that it was that there was a, that they did agree with the state of Texas that the executive order was contrary to an express statute. I think, though, that that's basically the, the Arizona S, SB uh, 1070 case. I mean, that was Arizona was saying federal government's not enforcing its own law. And the Obama administration argued, well, we have discretion to decide how and when and where we enforce our laws. We can decide that, you know, we don't, we don't think this is worth sending all of our federal marshals to deal with this aspect of immigration law. We're gonna send them somewhere else. Um, and that's what I expect the Fifth Circuit is gonna say or the Supreme Court. Um, I don't know, I mean, I hope not. Uh, but if they do, I think that Abbott should stand firm. But that argument only would cover they're not sending their people, but that in no way stops Abbott from flooding the border with his own people. So that argument doesn't cover that. Well, if the, if the federal government's argument is that the in, in the Arizona case, they said that the Arizona uh, immigration officials were interfering with the with the decisions of the federal government on how to enforce federal law. And that under the supremacy clause, the state's actions had to be stopped. Now, well, aren't many, sanctuary cities doing the same? I think Interfering. So. And uh, again, I agree. We, we just dealt with this for four years and the Republicans didn't do squat about it. And they should have cut funding. They should have put pressure on these states immediately. The same way, I mean, we're, we're two weeks into the Biden administration and you're already asking, raising questions about them threatening to cut funds off. I mean, we went four years and it didn't happen under the Trump administration. That's the difference. I mean, that don't, I don't want to sound really dumb, but don't they have some kind of oath about faithfully executing the laws? Who? Doesn't the president say something like that? Yes, but I mean, on a certain level, that's the whole thing. They do have discretion, right? I mean, there are, you know, a gazillion laws on the books. It's not up to Steve Axelman or Ed Maslisch or Jody Carroll to to decide um, when you know which law has to be enforced first, right? I mean, if if one president says immigration is a high priority and another president says drug laws are a high priority and another one says uh, child tra you know sex trafficking or child human trafficking is a priority, I mean maybe Congress can say no, we don't, we don't agree with that. We're going to pass a statute that directs you to to focus on X, Y, or Z, um, the courts are not in a position to, to second guess. The courts, you know, the, if the executive says, you know what, we have limited funds, we have limited resources, we only have a certain number of people at the Justice Department and the FBI and all the rest, you know, we have to decide where's the most efficient use of our resources. I'm, I'm a little reluctant to say a court should overturn that decision. The problem is when you have someone like Obama or even, you know, I don't know about Biden. Biden, it seems, I don't know who's calling the shots, but we're not seeing good faith exercises of discretion right now. We're seeing discretion used as a rationalization to cover lies and to cover policies well, that are Ed, authorized. I hate to do this on somebody's birthday, but I'm going to argue with you. Um, <laughs> I actually think that most of the federal government's um, force is going to be focused on much more important issues and saving lives. They just came out with this new federal law passed by the CDC about masks on public transportation. And I think that is where they're gonna be putting all of the force of the federal government. And that obviously saving lives comes before these poor immigrants. Wait, I'm glad you, I was gonna ask, how do they have jurisdiction? Do they, it's, it's, I, I get where they have jurisdiction over all federal buildings and places, but well, isn't it first going into- when they were burning down federal buildings, I believe in Oregon, for some reason, the states didn't say they had jurisdiction. But ask the better question, where is the CDC becoming a uh, lawmaking body? Well, that's a whole question about the administrative state. I mean, you know, there's a whole, uh, you know, Neil Gorsuch, Justice Gorsuch has actually written a lot about um, the unconstitutionality of 
of the delegation from Congress to the executive agencies. And I personally agree with, I don't believe that that's a valid de delegation. Um, you know, Congress wants to pass a law and say, well, you know, we, we want to have clean air and we're going to delegate rulemaking to the EPA. Uh, to me, that's, that's unconstitutional. I think that Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution says all legislative powers here, granted herein are vested in the Congress. Uh, I don't think that the Congress should be able to divest itself or, or to alienate those, those powers. The delegation doctrine for administrative agencies allows it. Um, I think that's something that needs to be overturned. Um, I don't know how the courts are going to do it after probably almost 100 years of, of allowing it, but that's, that's the problem. Um, even if they didn't allow it, don't you see they could have like a, a backdoor way of, you know, written by Congress, but really written by, you know, they could they could still do it behind the scenes, don't you think? If they, were, you know, if they could use the wording of, you know, well, we've consulted the experts and based on experts, we're making this rule. And Well, who's the we're making this rule, the EPA or Congress? Congress. I'm just saying they could say they're doing it after being after consulting with experts. We're making this rule. No, there should be a bill for every one of these rules if they want masks. And I've said it before about abortion. If the whole country wanted masks, Congress could pass that. Congress could pass that law in five minutes. Doesn't take long to pass a law if you really want to pass it. They can waive all their ridiculous requirements and send it to the president by email. But I think I think you also asked the question, Jody, of forget the interstate transportation. I believe they're applying this to Uber as well. Is that what you heard? Yeah. So where in the world they get that authority? Yeah, that was my question. How do right. they have that jurisdiction there? Well, I mean. The real maybe answer, they don't. Huh? <laughs> maybe I, they I, don't. Right. I mean, I don't think that they should, but I mean, the real answer is that when Congress is regulating a large, you know, a, a, a national industry um, that has some interest, purely interstate commerce, I don't think that there needs to be an exception for the purely interstate commerce uh, when Congress is passing a comprehensive bill that applies to everybody, um, and. I mean, I don't know that Uber, I don't know that Uber itself is an interstate commerce, but transportation, I think, is an interstate commerce. And it, there are, there's a lot of transportation that uh, does cross state lines. Um, whether you agree with that or not, that's well settled law. Uh, that's why we have the federal interstate uh, highway system. You know, Congress, that's how Congress has the authority to build highways that go from one state to another. Um, even though lots of people who use those highways never leave the state. But wait, don't they admit that they don't have a federal right to regulate speeds and they had to do that through funds? So they admit they don't control that. Well, no, that they, that's a different issue because they tried to, what that was trying to affect, they, they wanted to, they wanted states to implement a 21 drinking age and they tried to attach they tried to include that in a um, in a transportation bill, saying we're not going to give you transportation funds unless you raise your drinking age to 21. But I think they admit that they can't control speed limits in states, even on the interstates. I'm not aware of that. Maybe that's true. I don't know. Because I think the whole reason the 55 mile an hour thing was all done through holding funds and giving funds, I'm pretty sure. But I mean, the idea that we cede to them the right to regulate driving between my house and the house down the block is really pretty sad. Yeah. There's one topic we haven't touched on, the I word. Yeah. Yeah, Ed, would you like to uh, opine? Me or Jody? Ed. Wow. So much to say about it and we're, we've got what, five minutes left? Um, I think my first my first thought about impeachment is just a more general comment. Where is Donald Trump? We have been talking for the last hour almost about how this country is being destroyed by leftists, just being destroyed by people who are seeking to destroy him. 
and he is totally silent. He has Wasn't nothing he just to at say. the Alamo the other day? I think he just made a speech at the Alamo. That was on that was before he left office. No, no, I think he made one since. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think he made one since. Okay, I mean, if he made one speech, great, but he's he is not out front and leading. And what the right needs right now is a leader and and really what the right needs is is some closure on Donald Trump. And what I mean by that is you've got the Trump supporters, people like Matt Gates, people like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, who are fighting Trump's battles and fighting uh, not to overturn the election or not to uh, necessarily prove voter fraud or election fraud, but they're fighting for an America first agenda. And that's the Trump agenda. And the question going forward for people like that is, is Trump going to be the standard bearer of that agenda going forward? Or is Trump going to ride off into the sunset and get out of the way and let other people rise to the top? I think either one is an acceptable option, but Trump needs to say either I am, I am still the leader of the Republican Party. You guys stole this election from me and I'm going to be running in 2024. Or he needs to say, you know what? I'm going to fight this impeachment, but your disqualification is for nothing because I have no intentions to run. We've got plenty of people that are, that are strong warriors for the America First movement. And it's not going to be me in 2024. So this is all a gigantic waste of time. That's what he needs to say. And, and more importantly, in addition, he needs to start fighting for the agenda that he supposedly fought for and, and, and tried to implement. Um, he, he accumulated close to a half a billion dollars in, in donations between election day and January 6th. Where did that money go? He's not paying his lawyer. Rudy is not getting paid. Sidney Powell didn't get paid. He's not paying lawyers. He's not paying court costs. Where did that money go? It, it just went to retire Trump debt. How about spending some money doing whatever, advertising, creating your new network, whatever. I mean, I'm not going to tell him exactly what he needs to do, but right now it looks like he took that money and ran and he's just sitting there counting the money somewhere in Mar-a-Lago. And we need to hear from Donald Trump. And if he's not going to be the leader going forward, that's okay. He needs to say so. And he needs to encourage people like Hawley and Gates and, and you know, others that are upstarts and say, you guys are fighting the good fight. I'm going to be 80 years old for the next election. It's not going to be me. It's going to be one of you guys. And I'm here to help. What do you need? And I'll come and I'll give speeches and I'll, you know, but you guys got to fight. And, and these Democrats are trying to destroy the country and you can't let them have it. America should come first. And, and Trump is not saying any of it. Now getting, I mean, I don't mean to take all of our time here, but I mean, the impeachment is an obviously unconstitutional action. It's, you can't impeach a guy who's left office. Um, it's, it's intended purely as a punishment to try and disqualify him from office. He didn't do any subterfuge like resign uh, in order to avoid an impeachment. I mean, this is utter nonsense. It's utter, uh, I mean, impeachment is always political, but this is just beyond political uh, revenge. This is, it's just not, it's not what the constitution contemplates. This is creating the Democrats are seeking to create an additional requirement for anyone to run for a second term. And that is that Congress has to approve them. And that is not what the constitution says. So um, I'll, I know I said a whole lot of things. Maybe you guys have things you want to fire back at me. I'll step aside and let you guys go. Well, I think it's also, they want to deny him secret service protection. They're already trying to deny him a presidential library. I mean, this is literally push him as far to the ground as they can. Cause the message is, like we said an hour ago, don't you dare. Right. It's and why is he power. so quiet? Exactly, Steve. So why is he so quiet? Don't you dare. Why doesn't he say, oh, yes, I will. Where is he? Did we not donate enough money to him? I don't know. I didn't donate a nickel to him, so I have no idea. I know that his lawyers, the ones who stuck with him or that he just hired, are saying it's purely unconstitutional. What do you think about the idea of just not presenting any defense at all? Just saying... Oh, I it shouldn't happen to heck with you. And I by am. the way, didn't Graham just say, don't dare bring up the election fraud or, or you're going to lose all of us? I mean, it's here's what I think, guys. I am 100 percent on the opposite side of that fence. When I look at when I look at what Congress, what the Senate might do over the next three months, 
I can't think of anything more productive for them to do than to have a long drawn out impeachment trial over whether or not there was election fraud, whether Trump's statements are true or false. I mean, do we really as Republicans, as conservatives want the Senate to be debating immigration reform and the Green New Deal and, and all these other crazy proposals, DC statehood, Puerto Rico statehood? Do we really wanna have the, have the Senate taking up those issues? Or do we wanna have the Senate bogged down in, a, in an impeachment trial that, that uh, is unconstitutional anyway, and that realistically, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't think Trump is gonna run in 2024 anyway. I mean, other than as a vanity thing. Um, but regardless, I mean, if, if he doesn't run, there are plenty of other people that can take the mantle from him. Um, it's a joke and Trump should just make it a joke, not, not make it a joke, but he should call, he should call their bluff and say, you know, I'm just going to fight. This is, I am, I'm here to defend the constitution. I'm here to defend the United States and the America first movement. And I'm going to do what needs to be done. And, and he should, he, he needs to be out there, but he's, he's totally silent. I mean, it's really frustrating to me. So you think he should try and drag out the trial as long as possible and fight on every front? Why not? I mean, what what's the downside? The worst thing that can happen is he gets disqualified from running again. Boo hoo. I mean, is this guy going to put his own personal vanity ahead of what's best for the country? I mean, and if these Republican senators are going to vote to convict, I want to know that. Let's let's hear who, who wants to convict him, because we'll put primary opponents against them, too. These. I, I, huh? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jody. I was just going to say, I don't think he does any, you know, we haven't done our postmortem, um, the Trump administration yet, um, but that's sort of mindset is sort of what brings me here into this moment of this conversation of, I'm not so sure him being a leader or speaking out right now a lot is going to be helpful for us. I think it's probably, and I'm open for conversation, but I think it would do more harm than good. It, you know, the, the, the left did a lot did too much um, it gives any, any time that they have something that gives them the opportunity to get so outraged um, and capture that narrative constantly barraging with the outrage, people get sick of it and they didn't blame the left for it. They blamed Trump for it. And, you know, I kind of, I kind of am done with, you know, if he were a better, if he were a more, what's the word? If he were a, a better speaker, if he, if I trusted him better verbally as a leader, I would say, yes, he should get out there and he should be speaking. But so often he opens his mouth and I'm like, oh, you just made it worse, not better. I just don't think verbally he's that good of a guide that I, I don't want him personally out there speaking. I think it's better if he I, I, I agree with you, Ed. It would be great if they carried it on for because you know better them to fight that and look like idiots than make you know horrifying new laws. But I just I would rather Trump go by the wayside. I, I would too, but why not? I mean, if he's going to go by the wayside, why not just pass the mantle on and say, "I'm not going to run in 2024, but I'm still going to." I like fight. that idea. I mean, yeah, I like that idea. Why can't he do that? I mean, yeah. does he really want to run Ego. 78, 79 years old? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. This Ego. country is going down the toilet. We listened for four years of how he didn't take a salary because he's such a patriot. Can you be a patriot? We need a patriot right now. And, and his silence and his ambiguity is splitting not just the Republican Party, but it's splitting the, the America first conservative movement because they're all trying to you know, defer to him, but he's not taking the lead. So there's, a, there's almost a power vacuum that the bad guys are filling. Mitch McConnell is able to fill it because, you know, Josh, I mean, Josh Hawley is doing a great job. Matt Gates doing a great job, but they're all waiting for Trump to be, to be the leader because he is the leader right now until he says no. Why don't, can they, can they just assume he's not then? Can't they just take that lead and not need him to sort of officially step down. I mean, what if, if they're not going to hear from them? What if Trump runs again in 2024? I mean, then you've oh, seen- Oh God, America. I hope he doesn't. Yeah, but they still need him to campaign in primaries and stuff. I don't think he's fading away. I think there's a lot of people who will need him 
He's Cal fading Cal away Cal right Cal now, though. He's sorry. He's not a part of the game right now. I think it's still kind of early to uh, to say. Okay, let's wrap up. Closing ideas, thoughts. Um, it was a great conversation. I don't think I have anything pressing. Um, we didn't get to the executive orders, but you know, I'm sure there's going to be plenty more that we can discuss those fun activities. Yeah, I think that the ending of our conversation is exactly how I'd like to end it. Where's Donald Trump? He needs to either decide he's going to run and say, I'm going to fight and I'm going to be in every battle, or he needs to say, I'm not going to run, but I'm still a patriot. I'm going to fight for this country. He needs, he needs to issue some clarity and the ambiguity from the silence is, is really the most harmful thing. He needs, he needs to show that he's a leader and that he's not just a narcissist. Well, I'm tempted to say, tweet that to him, but I don't think you can. <laughs> so we'll leave it at that folks. Um, <laughs> We'll be back next week, same time, same channel. Um, hope everybody enjoys this. And thank you very much, Ed and Jody. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody.